Revelation chapter 18, we are plodding along in our study of the book of Revelation. It's hard to believe we're already on chapter 18, and we got 22 through 22 to go, so not too long we'll finish up the book of Revelation. Tonight we want to talk about the fall of Babylon. You should have had a, an insert in your bulletin with a worksheet on there. If you do not have that and you need one, if you'll raise your hand, the ushers will get one to you. If you need one of those worksheets, hold it up high so they can see you and just keep it up till they get to you. The fall of Babylon. The book of Revelation reveals to us that when the Antichrist receives the reins of the world government, his administration will be divided into three power centers. Rome will be the political base, Jerusalem will be the control center for religion, and Babylon will become the center of his financial and economic hub. And Revelation chapter 18 deals with that, with Babylon. John lists here in this chapter 28 commodities that will form the foundation of Babylon and of its worldwide commerce in these end times. Now we know that there is coming a one world government, a one world ruler during the tribulation period, and he's going to control most everything. And in verses 12 and 13, the Bible gives us these commodities that will form the foundation of this commerce. He says in verse number 12, the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and of thyine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and the souls of men. The interesting thing about this list is that these commodities that were desired in the day of John, as he's giving to us the tribulation and revelation, are many of them commodities that are desired today, in our world today. Clearly, the list is not only literal, identifying possessions that men have striven for and worked for and tried to gain and hoard up throughout history, but it's also symbolic of man's endless pursuit of material things. The world's wrapped up in materialism. The world basically has two gods, money and sex. And the world is going after material things. And our world today is wrapped up in materialism. The pursuit will continue. It's going on even today. And it will continue until the time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it will also continue into the tribulation period. Notice that the first items on the list are gold and silver and precious stones. The fact that he talks about those three, gold, silver, and precious stones, may indicate to us a coming collapse of what we know of currencies as we know them today, forcing a reversion to perennial value standards such as precious metals, gold and silver, and gemstones, precious stones that are given there. When Babylon becomes the world commercial center, 
International banks and corporations will set up operations there. Babylon will be the center of them. Henry Morris said this, and I quote, he said, the international bankers and the corporation directors of the mercantile barons and the shipping magnates and all of their hosts of money-worshipping, power-seeking underlings who once traversed their orbits around New York and Geneva, London and Paris, Moscow and Berlin, Johannesburg and Tokyo, now find it gloriously profitable to center it all in Great Babylon. And that will be what takes place during this tribulation period. To sum it up, look for Babylon to rise from what presently is pretty much obscurity to what will be almost like a, a financial center of the world. But God will not allow Babylon's incessant output of evil and of the wickedness to last forever. The destruction of Babylon will be total, it will be irrevocable, and it will be desolate. Even the site where it once stood will be desolate. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 13 says, verse 20 and 21. It says, It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in, from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there, but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satires shall dance there. Jeremiah elaborates a little bit on the desolation of Babylon, and he describes it as a heap of ruins, a dry desert of horror and scorn, a place that travelers will avoid, a place that will never again be inhabited. Go back with me for a minute. Keep your finger there in Revelation 18. And go back with me to Jeremiah chapter 51, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 51, and listen to what God says in verse number 26. Jeremiah 51 and verse 26. And he says there, Jeremiah 51, 26, And they shall not take of thee a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundation, but thou shalt be desolate forever, saith the Lord. Look at verse number 37. And Babylon shall become heaps, a dwelling place for dragons, an astonishment, and hissing without an inhabitant. And then look at verse 43. Her cities are a desolation, a dry land, and a wilderness, a land wherein no man dwelleth, neither doth any son of man pass thereby. Now, as we think about this destruction of Babylon, first of all, I want us to notice the reasons for Babylon's destruction. There are reasons why God is going to cause this city to be destroyed. And here in Revelation chapter 18, the apostle John saw an angel descending to earth whose splendor was so radiant, the Bible says, it illuminated the earth. The angel pronounces judgment on the city of Babylon in verses 1 and 2. It says, after these things, in verse 1, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. He talks about Babylon, and he says, Babylon the great is fallen. The word fallen there literally means to fall instantaneously. In other words, the destruction of Babylon is not going to take place over a long period of time. It's going to happen suddenly, in a moment, 
Actually, in one hour, we're told in verse number 19, he says, they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, say, alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. Destroyed quickly. Babylon is fallen, the Bible says. Now, why is God so determined to judge and destroy Babylon? It is because God cannot allow the influences of a city that is so antagonistic to God's people to contaminate his coming kingdom. And as you know, after the seven-year tribulation period, the Lord is going to come back and set up his kingdom on this earth. And so before he does that, he's going to destroy this city of Babylon. Notice, first of all, Babylon will be destroyed because of her iniquity. God's going to destroy her because of her wickedness and her iniquity. Verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Her iniquity. In Daniel's time, Babylon was infested with magicians, with soothsayers, astrologers, people who served King Nebuchadnezzar as his close advisors. And this demonic occultism will multiply and, and literally Satan's puppet, who is the beast, will co-opt this Babylonian system. And there'll be a vast web of demonic activity that will take place there, centered in Babylon, and will reach across the nations in, with the intent of possessing the minds of every person on this earth. Now remember that at this time, we are not here, amen? If you're saved, we're in heaven with the Lord. There will be people who will be saved during the tribulation period. But the devil's goal is to control everybody through the Antichrist and through the beast and the false prophet and so forth. But God is going to destroy Babylon because of their iniquity. By the way, God destroyed Jerusalem because of their iniquity, iniquity didn't he? And if America keeps going in her pathway of iniquity, God may destroy America. We have no guarantees if we're unwilling as a nation to follow God's ways. You know, it, it, it concerns me and disturbs me because we, as a church and as believers, we want to do right, right, amen? We want to live godly and according to His words, and yet our government and our system, our world system, it seems to be bent on going in the opposite direction. And sometimes you almost feel so helpless, amen? Great, one of the greatest powers we have is the, the, the ability to go to the polls and vote. And we have a responsibility to devote godly people and right kind of people into office. We also have the privilege and responsibility of prayer, and we should pray for our nation. God can hear our prayers, and God can bring revival, and God can turn America around. But if America keeps going the way it is... You have to remember, God brought destruction on Israel, and there were still godly people. There was still a remnant there, right? Can you imagine how some of those people must have felt as they faced the destruction and the captivity and all that came along? And we'll feel that same way if God allows us to keep going the way we are going. Because those who choose to live in wickedness and sin and iniquity, God eventually will deal with them. God destroyed Babylon because of her iniquity. Secondly, Babylon will be destroyed because of her influence. Because of her influence. Look at verse number 3. 
For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchandise, the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Babylon had a great influence, or will have at that time a great influence. And again, the parallels with America, we have great influence on the world today, don't we? And one of the reasons God may bring judgment on America is because of our influence. Did you know America is not the number one country in the world to send out missionaries? If you check the list of how many missionaries are going out from countries, I think America is like 16 or 17 on the list. We're not even at the top. We still have a great influence, but our influence is tending to go in the wrong direction. You can easily imagine newspapers and television channels lauding Babylon for its enlightenment and for its openness, for its tolerance. And boy, we have those today that want to, to boast about America's so-called enlightenment. We call it wokeness. <laughs> We've got all kinds of names for it, but we're not following God's ways. We're following man's ways. Governments and corporations will be normalized. The influence of Babylon will be spread throughout the world. And over the last, I don't know how many years, you've seen the influence of America spread around the world. Sometimes you go and I have the opportunity of visiting in some of the different countries and mission trips and so forth. And you see the influence of our dress standards. You see the influence of our attitudes that we have and our principles that we have or don't have any longer. Isn't it amazing how America has changed in the last 50 years? You know, I got, a, I got an invitation the other day. I think it was my, for my 50, I have to sit down and figure out, I think it was the 52nd high school reunion. About 52 years since I graduated from high school. But you know what? When I was in high school, we had dress standards in high school. Every Friday, we had dress-up day. I wore coat and tie on Fridays to school, public school. I see some of these kids going to school, and the girls with their short shorts and their pants with holes. We, we used to throw away those pants that had all the holes in. Now you have to pay extra money to get those things. I wish I had saved some of them. I could be rich. But the way that, that, that we dress in America, and I don't say we as, as a church, but I'm talking about our, our country and our world, it's changed in 50 years. In high school, in a public high school that I went to, and I'm, ta I'm not talking about a little country high school. I went to high school in Wheaton, Maryland, which is suburbs of Washington, D.C. We had 3,000 kids in my high school. I had 800 in my graduating class. It was a big high school. And the girls had to wear dresses to school. And the guys had to wear pants. They, had, they were glad for them to wear something. Nowadays, we wouldn't want them to wear anything, it seems like. Just wear something. But we had some dress standards. And I think it was a year after I graduated. I graduated in 68. I think it was a year after I graduated, they stopped the dress standards like they just went out the door. And, you know, it's a, it, it goes back, I think, to putting prayer and Bible reading out of schools and we, you know, we don't want them to pray, but when they have a shooting in the school, all of a sudden they want everybody to pray, don't they? And it's amazing what's happened to our, to our nation and our influences around the world. And God will bring judgment on America if we keep going the way we are because of our influence. And then Babylon also will be destroyed because of her infidelity. By the way, I've read some 
commentaries and some theologians that believe that Babylon in Revelation is America. I don't know, I can't say that that's what it is, uh, but it definitely is a picture of America. It's a picture of the world. And Babylon will be destroyed because of her infidelity. Look at verse number 5. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Her sins have reached unto heaven. The Greek word translated reach there presents a fascinating picture. It means to be glued or welded together. Now think about that. Her sins have reached unto heaven. They have been glued or welded together and brought up before heaven. Can you imagine how God must feel after he helped to establish a nation on the principles of the word of God and how far we've gone from that today? It's a deliberate Illusion, that word glued or welded together, reached, is an allusion to the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, predicting the revived Babylonian Empire that will build its own tower of sin, stacking one upon another like bricks until they reach up into heaven. The sins, just like the men at the Tower of Babel said, we're going to build a tower up to heaven. Babylon is building a tower of their sin up to heaven. And just as God destroyed the original Tower of Babel, he must also demolish this unholy replica to rid the earth of the infidelity of the beast in Revelation chapter 18. Babylon will be destroyed because of her infidelity. And then Babylon will also be destroyed because of her insolence. Her insolence, look at verse number 7. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. The newly revived Babylon will actually glory in its luxury, glory in its debauchery, glory in its occultism, glory in its ruthlessness. She'll be thinking about the power and the influence and the all that she commands, and it will cause there to be great destruction. Babylon will think, like the Titanic, that it's indestructible, but God will destroy it. Babylon's pride will bring it down. By the way, pride always brings us down, doesn't it? In Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goeth before destruction, and in a haughty spirit before a fall. I don't have to tell you, we've got some pretty prideful people in our government and our leadership today who take pride in their wickedness. In fact, they call their wickedness pride, don't they? We're going to have a, what do they call it, a pride month? Gay pride and all that sort of thing. It's not pride, it's wickedness. And any believer cannot in any way, shape, or form be proud of it. We must condemn it and we must stand against it. And then Babylon will also be destroyed because of her inhumanity. Her inhumanity. Look at verse number 17. He says in verse, or verse 13, I'm sorry. Look at verse 13. And cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep, horses, chariots. Notice the end of this. And slaves and souls of men. 
The last thing listed in Babylon's global trade commodities is the slaves and the souls of men. We have a slave and sex traffic in America that is unbelievable. And it's wicked. And God will deal with it. Babylon will be the hub of the world for worldwide sex trafficking, abducting untold thousands of men and women into forced prostitution. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, it takes place in America. And you know the thing that just kind of boils my blood is when I read about how much of it is involved right in Washington, D.C. and amongst our own government. I believe, and I'm not, I'm not uh, what's the word I want to use? I'm not uh, stumping for Donald Trump. But I believe one of the reasons they don't want him back into, into position is because he was starting to drain the swamp. And they're afraid he'll do that again if he gets back in. And they'll do everything they can to stop him. One of the reasons of the raid on Mar-a-Lago this week was because they wanted to get some things in which they could say that he had taken certain documents and so forth, and by law he then could not run again as, as president. You see, they're still attacking. And, and, and again... God's in control, and God knows who he wants and who he's going to put in there. But we need somebody who will drain the swamp, who will expose the wickedness, and our uh, Democrat and Republican both are in bed together, and they don't want somebody who's going to expose the corruption and the wickedness that's going on. And it'll be the same in Babylon in the tribulation period. Secondly, I want you to notice the reality of Babylon's destruction. The reality of her destruction. Babylon's new tower of depravity built from the bricks of her sins will rise up to unprecedented heights, finally prompting God to take action against her. John describes the suddenness of God's judgment in verse number 8. Look at what he says there. Chapter 18, verse 8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. He goes on to describe the utter finality of Babylon's destruction in verses 21 and 22 and 23. Verse 21, he says, And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it unto the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and, mus and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. The words no more and any more, are found six times in those verses. And it's translated from the strongest Greek term available to express not at all or never again. It's a picture of what happens when God pronounces judgment. It is sudden, it is thorough, and it is final. He said in verse 21, 
shall be found no more at all. In verse 22, be heard no more at all in thee. Shall be found any more in thee. At the end of verse 22, shall be found any more in thee. Verse, or, or be, shall be heard no more at all in thee. Verse 23, the light of candles shall, no, shall shine no more in thee. The, the middle of verse 23, he shall, uh, the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more. Six times, no more, no more, no more. Not at all, never again. In other words, God's going to wipe it out. And those things will not be anymore. Aren't you glad we're on the other side of that equation? One day we're going to get to go to heaven and there'll be no more pain and no more sickness and no more sorrow and no more darkness and on and on. There's some things, thank God, we'll not have to experience anymore. This wicked city, there are going to be some things that God says, no more, that's enough. We're not going to have any more of all of this is going on. And Babylon, in one short hour, will cease to exist. We'll be gone. It'll be ended and destroyed. And as the center of the vast web of interconnected globalism, it'll pull the world down with it. Down will come the world's finance system. Down will come the global markets. The banks and the corporations will collapse. All corporate stocks and national currencies will become fireplace kindling. Bank accounts will ev evaporate. Workers will be abruptly unemployed. The destruction of Babylon will trigger a global depression that will far eclipse any disaster this world has ever seen. Now some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, oh no, I'm going to lose all I've got. I'm going to lose my... Wait a minute. We're not going to be here then. Amen? If you're worried about that, you're in the wrong group. Amen? God will take care of you. And at that time, when all that takes place, we'll be in heaven with the Lord. Thirdly, notice the reaction to Babylon's destruction. What's going to be the reaction to it? The world's going to react to Babylon's fall with shock and horror. It would same thing would happen today. If America fell, there'd be shock and horror around the world. Everyone would reel, and the, the cataclysmic impact on their own lives would be seen. It'll be unbelievable. Notice, first of all, the monarchs will mourn. In verses 9 and 10, he says, The kings of the earth who have commanded forn committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her, of her burning, standing afar off from the, for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. The monarchs, the kings, the leaders of the nations are going to mourn because... That's where all of their money and that's where all of their prosperity was coming from. And all of the power and all of the wealth of the world leaders is going to suddenly collapse, leaving them shattered with nothing but crushed dreams and lost glory. And then the merchants are going to mourn. Look at verse number 11. It says, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. There's going to be weeping. The word merchant there is translated from a Greek word emporia. It means wholesalers who trade massive quantities of goods. They're going to weep. With the fall of Babylon, the stock market is going to crash to no recovery, drying up all the possibility of investments in merchants and businesses with no more banks to issue credit. All of a sudden, their businesses are ruined and destroyed. In one short hour, the god of mammon will be reckoned to be nothing more than ashes. The merchants will mourn. And then also the mariners will mourn. The mariners, in verse 17, 
He says, For in one hour so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster, and all the company and ships and sailors, as many as trade by sea, stood afar off, and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads, and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. Can you imagine the ships? You know, we have trouble now with cargo ships coming in and stacking up in the in the docks and so forth, but can you imagine cargo ships coming across towards Babylon and all of a sudden they see the smoke and the burning and the fire and all of their cargo, all of a sudden, there's no place to sell it. There's no money to buy it. And these people are devastated. They're crying, they're weeping, they're throwing dust in the air and, and, and wailing, the Bible says. The captain, I'm sure, groans and and grasps his hair and pulls it out. I was not on that ship. <laughs> but the market for the cargo is destroyed. They're ruined. And those mariners will be ruined as well. But then notice with me the rejoicing over Babylon's destruction. The rejoicing. Look at verse number 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven. And ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. When Babylon is destroyed, the monarchs and the merchants and the mariners are going to mourn and weep and wail. But the apostles and the prophets in heaven, and especially those who are martyrs for the cause of Christ, are going to rejoice in heaven. While the opportunity to prophet from Babylon is gone, and those who were, had that opportunity are grieving, they're going to be those that are going to rejoice in the end of the diabolical wickedness that was taking place in Babylon. From the time of its founding, Babylon has unleashed on the world an unholy system of defiance against God Almighty. It has enslaved God's people, cut them into pieces, boiled them in oil, cast them into furnaces and lion's dens, nailed them to crosses, and will soon inflict similar horrors on those who refuse the mark of the beast during the tribulation period. But God promises justice to those that suffer for him. And when Babylon is destroyed, in fact, God tells us in Romans 12, 7, 12 9, he says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And during that tribulation period, those martyrs for the cause of Christ who are under the altar are going to cry out for justice. They'll ask in Revelation 6.10, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And God will avenge their blood when he destroys Babylon and brings it down. Not in vindictiveness. They're rejoicing because of gratitude that the earth is finally rid of this insidious evil that has been upon the earth for so long. When you're treated unfairly or when you have endured some sort of abuse or when you see others promoted at your expense through some underhanded means that has taken place, do you wonder if God has forgotten you? Do you ever cry out like those souls that said, How long, O Lord? Do we mourn and wonder how long it'll be until God sets things right and makes it right? 
You see, it's a, it's a common experience that oftentimes leads people to question Christianity. If God is good, why doesn't he eradicate evil? I don't have the answer to all of that. Someday when we get to heaven, we'll get the answer. If I was God, I think I'd wipe out all the evil and all the people, good, evil people, just let the good people live. But God doesn't want us to be robots, does he? He gives us a free will. He gives us a choice. And we can choose to serve him. We can choose to live godly and righteously. Or we can choose to follow the world and, and chase after money and materialism. One day all of that's going to be left behind anyway. God's judgment will come against those who have wronged his people. The biblical record shows that when the time is right, God will avenge every evil that's committed against him and against his own people, beginning with Satan's seduction in Eden and cultivating with the destruction of Babylon in Revelation chapter 18. And then notice with me our response to Babylon's destruction. What is our response to all of this? Look back at verse number 4. Kings, the merchants, the shippers, the apostles, the prophets, they're going to respond to the destruction. But there's one additional response that we need to address. Verse 4 says, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. God calls us to get out of Babylon. Babylon, as I said, represents the world. And as believers, we're to come out of the world we're to separate ourselves from the godless spirit of this age in which we live. It is the spirit of Babylon and it permeates our culture today. I'm afraid today that there are many Christians who are not heeding the call to come out of her. They attempt to maintain dual citizenship between Jerusalem and Babylon. And the Apostle Paul says that's impossible. You know the verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15 and 16. The Lord said, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has, hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I'd rather dwell with God and walk with Him than dwell and walk with this world and this ungodly system that we see today. As God's temple, our bodies are the temple of God. If we are a believer, if you're a child of God, we're to keep that body, that temple, we're to keep it clean. We must sweep out the contamination of self-love and worldly pleasure and materialistic ambitions, John warns us to get out of Babylon. He says that ye be not partakers of her sins and that ye receive not of her plagues. You see, the unholy attractions of Babylon, it's like a trap that is baited. It lures us to share with the iniquities and the wickedness, but remember, we'll also share with the destruction that is reserved for that city and for that diabolical, diabolical system and wickedness that is there in that day. Now, as believers, again, we'll be gone. But we may see some of God's judgment here on this earth before that time takes place. We find our real security in Almighty God. Amen? When we reject the Babylon of this world, 
When we remain, so to speak, in Jerusalem, in God's place, with God's people, we can share the confidence that the Apostle Paul had in Romans chapter 8. He said in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing can separate us. Whether it's the growing instability in our present culture, whether it's persecution, or famine, or distress, and much of that will come during the tribulation period, nothing can separate us from God. This world system is precarious. It is unstable. It is sifting, shifting sand, I guess you should say. But God's promises never shift, do they? They remain unshakable. They remain solid. We rightly grieve when we see so many people rushing headlong toward the Babylonish culture of our world today. But it's right that we also celebrate the coming triumph of good over evil. And we rejoice in the fact that one day the Lord is coming back again. And one day He's going to take us to heaven to be with Him. And we won't have to go through all the misery that takes place here on this earth. All the judgment that is afflicted upon mankind, thank God, He'll keep us from that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So let me ask you this question in closing tonight. Have you come out of Babylon? Are we still trying to hold on to Babylon and Jerusalem at the same time? Are we still holding on to the things of the world and trying to hold on to the things of God. You can't do it. At the judgment seat of Christ, our works will be revealed, won't they? The Bible says they'll be tried so as by fire. May God help us to live for His kingdom. Amen? We won't be a part of that Babylonian kingdom, but if you're saved, we'll get to be a part of His kingdom a little bit later on. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and thieves break through and, and rust and moth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We're looking at His kingdom. We're living for the future. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And though we may get our feet dirty sometimes from the dust of the world, thank God coming to the Word of God can cleanse us and can keep us from being contaminated and becoming like the world around us. Come out, the Bible says. I'm like you, I'm looking for the day when we get to come out and go up, amen? We won't have to worry about it anymore. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the warnings that are given to us here. What the devil and the world thinks is final and secure and stable, will be suddenly taken down. It'll crumble with nothing left. Thank God, as we sing the song, On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Help us to purpose to live for you. And the darker the hour gets, the brighter our light will be in this world. And the darker the hour, the more we'll be able to do like we sang this morning. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Help us to be willing to stand in a wicked, darkness.
dark world, when maybe everybody else around us is bowing down, help us to stand and be faithful to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.